The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. Hello again, dear friends. Father Lee here with another podcast. We're shifting gears a bit over the next several weeks to take an in-depth look at the book of First Peter. Martin Luther once wrote, This epistle of St. Peter is also one of the noblest books in the New Testament. It is the genuine and pure gospel. What truer words could have been spoken? Here, St. Peter outlines the work of the gospel in the life of the church, how believers are to move in the world around them, and in the face of suffering and persecution, pours out beautiful images of hope for his congregations. What a noble genuine, pure gospel indeed. At St. Aidan's, we have a particular method for reading scripture based on the historic Christian patterns for reading the Bible. We ask four key questions while we read. What happens? Where is Christ? How should I live? And finally, what is our hope? I have a longer video detailing this method for reading scripture on our YouTube channel. If you're interested, You'll find a link in the description, along with the links to the discussion notes for this episode. In the time of coronavirus, we, like many churches, are unable to gather to read scripture together. So this meeting is being hosted via Zoom. This poses benefits and complications. So I ask for your patience as we're adjusting to this new method for hosting meetings. And I invite you to sit in on a small group discussion at St. Aidan's as we open up the first epistle of St. Peter. I'll go ahead and do it. All right, thank you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and a stone to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So the thing that we do at the beginning of our study is we map out what happens. All right. So the what happens question is all about creating a sort of a, you know, a, a diagram or an outline of the passage so that we have uh, a basic understanding of, of what the, the author, in this case, Peter, is trying to convey to us. So if we're going to break this up into an outline, uh, where should we start? What is he talking about in those first, say, three verses? I think the first thing I noticed is the word therefore that begins the passage, mm -hmm. which connects it always in the scripture, always connects it to something previous. Right. And I think previous since in last week's we were born again. Therefore, do these things. Right. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it, that he starts off by, he, he tells us that we were born again, and then he moves on to this, uh, this, this metaphor in, in verse 2 about, about infants or newborns who, want to, who, who should desire pure uh, spiritual milk. Um, so he's definitely sort of hanging on to that, that, that imagery. And what does he describe that, that life as? What does he say that, that our life should look like? In verse 1, he says that we need to uh, put away a bunch of things. What are the things that he says he wants us to put away? Malice. Mm-hmm. And deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. All right, now, does anybody have different translations of any of those words? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, instead of slander, it the New King James says evil speaking. Okay, which is a more literal translation of that word. Um, does everybody's translation say malice at the beginning of verse one? Pretty much everybody says that, okay. So a couple of points on, on this passage here. What's interesting is that all of these words that, that Peter uses have to do specifically with actions that affect the relationship between you and me. These are all community affecting things, all right? They're not like, um, it, when Paul sits down and Paul writes out a list of sins that we as Christians need to walk away from, the list is usually exhaustive and it covers, you know, all of the different things, personal sins and corporate sins, and interpersonal sins and all those, but this specific list about uh, uh, about you know putting putting these things away, these are all interpersonal things: malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander or evil speech. All of those things are things that we do against each other. And it's interesting that he points this out because, of course, as Joe said, he starts off by saying, "Therefore." Therefore, put away all of these things that break our fellowship or break up or interfere with our communion. Because, of course, the thing that he said immediately before this is this word, he's talking about the word of the Lord that remains forever. The, 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 the word of the Lord is the good news that was preached to you. 
And so since this word is forever, this word endures, and it has been preached to you, this good news, this gospel has been preached to you, put away everything that's not good news. Put away everything that's not good news, and instead long for the pure spiritual milk. This is something that we miss because, of course, our, our translations uh, tweak this a little bit. But does everybody's translation in verse 2 say spiritual milk? Uh, no, mine doesn't. What, what does yours say? It says, uh, desire the pure milk of the word. Mm -hmm. yep, yeah, so the mind. word that, he, uh, that, that Peter uses here is the word logic. Um, the pure logical milk. Uh, it doesn't actually mean logical the way that we mean logical. Um, it, it, but, but the word is both spiritual, but also it's connected to the root word logos, just like we have in, in John's gospel. And so what he says is that this word, this logos, is the good news. And so what you need to desire is the pure logos. You need to desire the pure word of God. We need to desire God's presence, God's uh, God's spoken word, God's, God's presence in the midst of our life, and that happens or is mediated to us in the midst of our community, all right? So moving on from this discussion about, uh, uh, about what it means to, to live together in community, he goes on uh, desiring pure spiritual, and we're going we're, we're gonna to put um, spiritual milk, and let's just put uh, word, and we'll, we'll stick gospel on there since we talked about that a little bit as well, um, just so that we can kind of keep track of everything that's going on there, all right? So moving on from verse 3, he goes into this section that is about cornerstones, a long discussion of stones, all right? So we are in verse, let's see, we're in verse 4 now. 4 through 8. What is he talking about in verses 4 through 8? We said that he's talking about stones, but, but more generally, or in a larger context, what is Peter trying to explain to us about our life together, or our life in Christ, our life in the kingdom? Well, the, uh, the first thing that he talks about um, is his first reference is to uh, us as living stones, a spiritual house, and being built in the holy priesthood. So this is like temple language. Mm -hmm. Yep, and he's going to come back to that language again when we get to verse 9. Uh, so talking about the, the spiritual stones, the, the living stones, the spiritual stones, uh, the spiritual house, the royal holy priesthood. What else is he talking about here? Look at verse 5, all right? Verse 5. Okay, I'm going to read this to you. This is from the English Standard Version, all right? Pay attention to my words and then compare them to your words, okay? You yourselves are like living stones. I'm sorry. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, does anybody have a translation that is different than that? Does yours arrange words in a different way? The translators in this passage have a difficult job in sorting out who and how the spiritual stones are related to each other. Are 
are we as individuals or we as a, it, it says you yourself. So this is a, this is a, a, a plural phrase. So he's talking about the whole community to whom he's writing. Are, are y'all are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood or are y'all like a spiritual house made of living stones to be a royal priesthood? He's saying that we're being put to, we individually are being put together into a larger house or we corporately are stones that make up a larger house or that we are a house and we are made up of many little stones. In the Greek, it's not clear on, on which of those ways. And so many of our translations are going to move those different, uh, the, those different ideas around a little bit. So he moves on, he, he talks about being living stones and he says that we are being made into a royal priesthood and uh, a holy priesthood in order to do something. The very end of verse five, what does he say that we are, we, we have been made into or built up as a, a holy priesthood in order to do what? It's to make spiritual sacrifices. Yes, to make spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And then he goes on to quote from Isaiah. So what does he say? Behold, I'm laying a stone in Zion, the cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, that stone will become the cornerstone and it will be a stumbling block and a, a rock of offense. He says that they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. All right, so we are, it uses temple language about us being built up in, in God's world, about us being, uh, being, being made into a temple. And then it says that the, the center of that temple, the center of, of the temple, and so the center of our life is Christ. So Christ stands at the center. Christ is the one that enables us to become a priesthood. He's, and, and in being a priesthood, what he's saying is offering up sacrifices. In his world, that's what a priest does, especially a priest in Asia Minor. The only function that a priest has is to offer up sacrifices. In fact, most churches, well, we'll call them churches, most religions in the Roman Empire don't have professional priests. Somebody in the community gets elected and they work as a priest for a, a period of time and they they you know go around and they, they have special jobs and you know the, the, but their primary job is to keep the gods happy whichever gods they happen to their their city and town and whatever happens to be, be devoted to their job is to keep them happy now contrast that way of talking about the priesthood so so the priest is only there to keep god happy with all of the people and then they just sort of rotate in and out but look at the way that peter talks to the christian community all throughout Asia Minor, about what it looks like for us to enter into this new kind of temple life. He says that we all are living stones that make up a spiritual house, and that spiritual house has become a holy priesthood. 
And so all of us together now are offering up sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ because Christ is the cornerstone. And that's going to be troublesome for our neighbors. And that's going to be troublesome for the people who have set themselves up against God and against his kingdom. Um, because that is, that, that is the choice that the world has, has made from the very beginning. But he says, for you guys, it's going to be different. So look at verse 9, all right? Take a look at what he says in verse 9, and then, um, well, really, ju we'll just look at 9 and 10, because the, the, the next two verses are kind of their, their own thing after that. So look at verse 9. What does he say this, uh, this new calling that we have entered into looks like? What is unique or special about this life that we now live in Christ, in his kingdom? Verse 9. There's lots of things going on in verse 9. We are chosen, mm -hmm. royal, and holy. Chosen, royal, and holy. And then he says that we are God's own people. He says, your, your translations may say, people of, of his own possession, or that you have become God's people. Um, and then in verse 10, he says this incredible thing. Well, before we get to verse 10, I love this imagery. We've become a people of his own possession so that we can do what? What are we called into holiness and, and chosenness and, and royalness? This new way of, of being human, this, this Christian way of living. We've been called into this so that we can do what? Second half of verse 9, what does he say? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Yes, so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Is that what everybody else's translation says? Does anybody have something that is, is, is different from that? Proclaiming his excellencies? I'm sure Robbie's is a little bit different because yeah, well, I mean King James praises, he, he not excellencies. But. His praises, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure why the ESV folks decided to translate this phrase as excellencies, um, because that's not a it's, that's not a standard way of using the English language. Um, we don't talk about people's excellencies ever actually that's just not a thing that we do um yeah we don't we don't talk about people's excellencies maybe we should though maybe maybe we should spend more time talking about people's excellencies and less time talking about i don't know whatever other things we already talk about um so he calls us god's own people proclaim his praises that's what he calls us out it calls us into he he calls us, he makes us his own people who are now chosen and royal and holy so that we can proclaim his praises because we were called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And then in verse 10, he says this, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. Now, what he's referring to here, what, what, he's, what, what he's sort of offhandedly quoting is a passage from Hosea. So who's been reading Hosea? Nobody? Nobody's reading Hosea? 
I'm going to make you guys read Hosea pretty, pretty soon. I'm almost there. I'm, I've almost got all of my notes together because Hosea is my like new favorite place to, to hang out with the Lord. <clears throat> so at the beginning of the book of Hosea, right, you guys know the like the basic overview of Hosea. There's, there's this prophet Hosea and God uses him to, to, to tell a, a, like a, a, a story. Um, and so he, um, he, he sends Hosea and into a brothel to find a wife. And then of course she doesn't ever actually leave that life behind. And so she just keeps wandering off back to whatever brothel will, will have her. And Hosea keeps going after her to, to bring her back. And all the while God is proclaiming through Hosea that this is, uh, this is an image of what God's life is like among his people. And so he says, he, he, he says people that, that he, God says of, about my people and my children, I'm going to change their name to not my people because you're not my people and I am not your God. And then it changes again. Instead, he says, I, you, you are going to become my people. He changes it late, later on. So, so it, he, he says, it's, I can't give you up. This is the, the, like the refrain that keeps happening over and over and over again in Hosea. God saying to his people, I cannot give you up. I will not give you up. So yeah, so he, so he then, God then changes their name back to, you are my people, you are my children, you have received mercy. And so this is the, the image that Peter is drawing from, this image of people who have been chosen, not because of something that they've done, or not because of something that they've earned, or not because of something that they've warranted, but because God has pursued them and refuses to let them go. All right? So let's close out this section by looking at the last two verses, verse 11 and verse 12. All right, what does he say in verses 11 and 12? He's going back to that, sojourners and exiles. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. And keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so they can see your good deeds and glorify God. All right, so basically he's saying to them, I want you to leave behind the life that you were living. Um, again, it's important for us to remember that he's writing this to, uh, to people who are living, who, who are part of the, the diaspora. And it, it may be that they're part of the Jewish diaspora, but more likely they're, they're part of a, a larger cultural diaspora that happened repeatedly during the, the, the Roman Empire in the first century. Um, so these are people who, who are already... Uh, sojourners and exiles. And he says, I want you to continue doing that. Don't adopt the, uh, the culture around you. Don't, don't fall into those practices that you had before because your lives, what did, what, what did he say just a verse earlier? Your lives are, are, are there. You, you've been given this grace in order to proclaim God's glory, to proclaim, to, to, to give, give praise to the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Well, let's move on to the iceberg questions then, okay? So our iceberg questions basically center around this, this one central question, which is, what goes without being said? As we read this passage of scripture, what goes without being said? And that could be what goes without being said from our perspective, or it could be what goes without being said from Peter's perspective, from, from the, the community around Peter when he's writing these. There are, are there some underlying cultural assumptions that we think 
that Peter is carrying along, that Peter's words are communicating, that we need to pause and look at more carefully? And more importantly, what are some underlying assumptions that we're making that we bring along into the text that will keep us from hearing Peter speaking in the words that, that, that Peter's trying to use? So for, for us in this, in this section of scripture, what goes without being said? Um, I'm, not, I'm not really sure if it's for us it goes without being said, but um, I, I think this um, connection between uh, in verses two and verses five, between us kind of uh, growing in our salvation and offering spiritual sacrifices, because um, I at least know that the uh, Orthodox following some very, very early church fathers kind of saw that as being like, uh, they use the term spiritual labor and use and uh, the idea of Adam and Eve as infants and growing in faith through spiritual labor. Um, so I don't know if that's how Peter saw it. And I definitely know that's not how a lot of uh, modern American Protestants see it. They don't really have that connection of a sort of progression in faith through spiritual labor from an infancy, or at least I never did. Okay. What else? What are some other assumptions that we bring into the text as we're reading it? One of the things that I read about this week that I thought I, I thought was was interesting in in my study. Um, is this, it, this happens in the transition between verse six and verse seven. So he, so he's quoting from Isaiah um, and he, he says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe it. Uh, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who don't believe that the stone that they rejected will become the, 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 the chief cornerstone. Um, and, and what I, what, what I didn't realize is that in, the the Roman world, um, one of the the most important things that you as a as a community priest would do was to tell the particular deity how awesome it was, um, and if you uh, stroked its ego just correctly, then you guys your your community would get all of the good things and none of the bad things, um, and what. What God does here is saying that we, as as the as the the priesthood now, share in in His honor. So for them, the the goal of the community was to give honor to their particular deity, so that they would get good things. But look at what He says. He says that you share in this honor because you have become part of the temple itself. You have become part of the temple itself. You've become living stones in this spiritual house so that the priesthood of Christ is now a part of who you are. So it's not something that you enter into and you do on behalf of somebody else, but it's something that flows out of us. It's something that comes from us, that being a part of Christ means that we join him in this priestly work of offering up sacrifices uh, which is, of course, what he says later, the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, the saying, the, the saying of thank you. We're not listing off all of the multitudinous 
uh, names of the particular Caesar that we happen to be worshiping at this particular uh, moment in history, but instead the, 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 the words that we're given are to, uh, to give praise and thanksgiving to the God who has called us out of darkness and into light. What else? What are some other assumptions that we might make as we're reading through this passage? Sorry, uh, I just kind of wanted to add, uh, I guess, a little bit of a clarification, because I, I even noticed we did it here where we say growth in faith. Um, now, that idea is kind of around in a lot of Protestantism, but my specific translation in verse 2 specifically says, so that you may grow up into your salvation. So, you know, we have a tendency to think of salvation as a, you know, sort of one-off event versus this seems to be portraying it as something we grow into, you know, like shoes that we must fill or something. And that might be something that we miss. Mm -hmm. Good, good. Others, other assumptions that we bring into the text? I'm struck by the phrase holy priesthood because, or, and the royal, or it was royal priesthood, because aren't those two different tribes in Israel? Like royal would be Judah and priesthood would be Levi. Yes, there are or not, am I just, yeah. there are not royal priests in, in Israel. Yeah, and in that same verse, um, I was thinking one of the things that's in the um, reading scripture through Western eyes or whatever that book is, mm -hmm. that's the wrong thing, <clears throat> um, is that we assume the like homogeneity of the people who are receiving this letter and we kind of read that homogeneity into our own Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so when he says you're a chosen race, we assume we don't think about the fact that very easily these could be people of all different races. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a holy nation. These are people from different nation states, um, a people for his possession. These are not, uh, you know, this is not a group of people who are all alike in a way already. They're only alike really in Christ. And I think that we miss that. And I've heard this misquoted in the American church to because we assume the, that they are a homogenous group already rather than that this is like a total a totally different thing that he's saying and that he's turning it on his head. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I was thinking too of, of this, um, this idea of uh, what, what did we say? Um, piggybacking off of what, what Zach pointed out, this idea of like newborn infants long for this, the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. If indeed, you have tasted that the Lord is good. And then he moves on from that to, to start talking about you. And, and it's, it's easy for, for me as I'm reading that passage to think, oh, well, what, what Peter is encouraging me, Lee, to do is to desire pure spiritual milk or desire the word of God so that I can grow into salvation uh, because I've tasted that the Lord is good. But that's not what he says at all. He says, he, he writes this letter to the elect exiles of the dispersion. He writes this to the sojourners, to the resident aliens 
He writes this to the churches that are in these various areas. And so what he's saying here is not so much, Lee, you need to do these things. What he's saying is that St. Aidan's, you need to put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and be like newborn infants who long for spiritual milk, who long for the word of God so that you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted of salvation. If you've tasted of salvation, then you should be hungry for that salvation. But the salvation is not, at least the way that he describes it here, is not about me, Lee, getting saved. It's about Lee as a part of this whole church, as a living stone that makes up the whole house, and it's the house that's being saved. It's so easy to, for reading scripture, to assume that what the Bible is talking about is how does Lee get into heaven? And the story that scripture is telling is not about Lee getting into heaven. It's about what God is doing in the midst of creation. Now, does Lee becoming a part of God's kingdom and being saved from death and raised to, to new life in him through the, the resurrection from the dead, is that a part of that story? I hope so. I, I, I hope so. Um, that's, that, that's my hope. That's my, that, that's my faith. That, that, that's what, uh, you know, the, the life that I'm trying to build, but that's not the story. The story isn't about all of the cool things that Jesus did for me. It's about all of the things that God is doing to restore the whole creation. It's God's story, and we're being invited to enter into it and to find a place in it. But the way that we do that is not by making ourselves the, the, the center of the universe, so it's important for us to remember that this is, um, oh, what are the way that they talk about the, the individualism versus collectivism. So let's move on from our, our iceberg questions and move on to the question of where is Christ? So looking at this passage, what do we see God doing? Where's God at work revealing God's self to us? Verse four says that Christ is the living stone. Um, in verse 5, uh, Christ is making our sacrifices acceptable. Uh, let's see, verse 6, he's the, the chief cornerstone. There's lots of ways to translate that word, but we're just going to use that. That's like the, 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 the common easy way to, to write that and read that, and that's you know a phrase that we're, we're the most familiar with. Let's see, if we jump down a little bit farther and look at verse 9, he's calling us out of darkness. All right, so the question that we ask then is, if this is what we see God doing, God is revealing what God's life looks like to us. We see that God is the living stone, the chief cornerstone upon which the entirety of the kingdom is built, that he is at work right now making acceptable sacrifices to the Father, that he's inviting us into that priestly work because we've been chosen and called out of darkness into marvelous light. So if that is true, then how should we live? What is God calling us to do in response to what God has revealed about God's self in this passage? I, I said we're chosen, we're chosen for obedience. We're supposed to be obedient, and we're chosen to serve. Mm -hmm. What else? Um, I, I'm kind of uh, 
focusing on there in verse five with the uh, offering spiritual sacrifices. And, I, and like I said, I, I like the term spiritual labor to me kind of evokes a broader sense of what this is about. Um, especially since, as I said, I've read in like the very early church fathers that the point that we were put on here for that Adam and Eve's whole job in the garden was spiritual labor. That was kind of the whole point of it. And so this kind of offering spiritual sacrifices kind of recalls into you right to me of God, you know, getting the project in Genesis back on track, as he says. And that's what, and so we're kind of being brought back into what we were always supposed to do anyway. All right. What else? Did anybody mark out any other parts of that where you said this is, this is something that we're being called into? Verse 1 was a big one. Verse 11 is another big one. Um, and I guess maybe as a subset of what I said, it's to uh, proclaim his praises. And since we're called to be a priesthood, um, you know, as, as N.T. Wright has often said, we're called to reflect God to creation and reflect the praises of creation back to God. Mm-hmm. All right, so that brings us then to the end of it, which is what is our hope? What is the hope that we're being called into in this passage? This is what, we, what God is revealing to us. This is the, the, the kind of life that we're being called into. And what kind of world is the result of, of, of you and I joining God in the work of kingdom building? What's our hope? Verse 4 says that we're being built into a household, a household and a priesthood. Um, people that weren't a people are able to become God's people. Mm-hmm. What else? I think there's something in what he's saying about all this about like building the house and being a priesthood and you know the honor in verse seven and you know in verse nine being a holy nation and a royal priesthood and being owned um, or possessed by God I think that there is I feel like there's something in there that Peter is saying uh, is that we are more than we know like like we are more important than we know we are not not you know americans would want to read that individually but like he's saying like your community group is more important than you know it is better than you know and you're a part of something greater than you than you really understand um because, you know, Jews are not people who throw around terms like priesthood easily. Um, I mean, frankly, Anglicans aren't either. Um, <laughs> if, but I just feel like there, there's something in, in everything he's saying that is, is trying to really get across, you know, the hope that, that God has chosen us and that he desires us and that it's not because he has to, but it's because he really does feel we're special, mm -hmm. which is a lot to say. But I just feel like overall I get that sense, but I don't have just one verse I can nail that on. Right.
Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.